Well, good morning, church. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I have been on staff here for about 11 years. I preach, uh, actually, it's closer to 12, I guess. I, I preach most Sundays, and I'm glad to have you with us. If you're visiting with us today, we have a gift for you. We'd love for you to take uh, one of the devotionals that I've written. Uh, it's right out here on the information table, and if you're new, to us today or if you're just kind of recently new but you've never grabbed one of these I wrote these uh, for this purpose to be able to give to the visitors of our church this is a devotional for every day of uh, the year and it's back there for you we'd love for you to be able to take it as a thank you for visiting uh, with us today we are in a series of messages this is the second week uh, last week we um, kicked it off in the book of Ecclesiastes the book of Ecclesiastes is a difficult uh, book of the Bible. It's a difficult book because uh, you can look at it and it's, sometimes it gets kind of depressing sometimes as you read Solomon, who is assumed to be the writer. We don't know that for sure, but there's lots of clues in, in the book that King Solomon wrote this. And it was his search for meaning and it was his search for significance in life. And last week I kind of took you through the introduction, but I kind of took you through the whole book in, in a way to show you the whole meaning of the book. If you weren't here last week and, and you want to catch up just a little bit, please feel free to uh, jump on the internet and you can be able to find that uh, on uh, our website or you can find it on uh, Zinyanaz's YouTube page and on Facebook, I think. And so, but that's where we start. And I want to just take a few minutes to review because I think that is, is, is really, really important. Solomon, he sought for significance in pleasure and he was, and he was the, the Bible says, in, in that day and time anyway, he was the richest man who ever lived in that day and time. So he had the money. He had the money to seek out pleasure in whatever way he sought it out. Okay? Pleasure, achievements. He, he built great projects. He, he talks about that in the book. He tried to find success and meaning and purpose in... in um, uh, uh, achievements as well as success uh, as well as wealth and uh, and also as well as education he said he had more knowledge than anyone at that time and so he searched for all of those for meaning and significance in life and over and over and over again throughout the 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes he comes back to the same result after searching for me meaning and purpose and significance and all of that he said meaningless meaningless it's all meaningless and that's why the book can be kind of a bummer sometimes and kind of be a Debbie Downer sometimes because he keeps coming back. Vanity, vanity, he goes. All is vanity. And what he means is that if you put significance and purpose in those things I listed, pleasure and achievements and success and wealth and education, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if that's the key to life for you, if that's the... the meaning and significance and purpose you like Solomon will come to the end of the way and say something like we saw Tom Brady say last week you remember that we played a little 30 second clip of Tom Brady when he was interviewed after his third Super Bowl win and he says I got three Super Bowl rings but he told the guy that was interviewing he said there's got to be more to life than this so what was he saying? He was saying, meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity. He said, it's like a chasing the wind. Who can chase the wind? Chasing the wind is a little expression for doing something that you can't do. And so 
Uh, last week, we, we tried to tell you that the key to life is not in life itself. It's not in the pleasures. It's not in uh, all good things in life. There's nothing wrong. I'm not preaching against those things. I, I'm trying to tell you, the Bible says you can't make that the purpose of your life. Uh, pleasures and uh, achievements and success and wealth and education. There's absolutely zero wrong with any of that unless that is the meaning of life for you. The key to life is not in the things of life. It's not in those things that all of us can reach out and, and get in life. I, I quoted for you from uh, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, something that uh, he shared with us when I was at Asbury Seminary. And he said, if, if we miss the center, we'll live our life on the margins. What are the margins? The margins are not wrong, but the margins are not in the center. They're not the core. The margins are, are pleasures and achievements and success and, and, and uh, education and wealth. But if we miss what the most important thing, we'll live our life for these things that are on the margins. And wouldn't it be bad to come to the end of your life and realize, man, there's got to be more than this, even though I've got three Super Bowl rings. If we miss the center, and, and I capitalize center to stand for God in the person of Jesus Christ, if we miss the center, we'll live our life on the margins. And only when you have the center right can the margins make sense in your life and can the margins really have meaning and purpose in your life when you get them as we've said many times in other contexts when you get the main thing keep the main thing the main thing the purpose of the book of ecclesiastes is to keep us from living life on the margins there it's a warning to us don't go for this don't go for this don't go for pleasure don't go for achievements don't go for success don't put so much pressure on those things that they become your meaning and purpose in life don't do that because solomon says it's meaningless it's a chasing after the wind it's a chasing after the wind and so last week i played you a, a song back from 1977 dust in the wind right and the writers of that song say one of the inspirations for that was this chasing after the wind how can you get dust in the wind it's all dust in the wind you can, how can you grab and chase and corral dust in the wind today we move to the third chapter of ecclesiastes last week we basically went through chapters one and two today we go to the third chapter and I'm going to play another song for you today. Does anybody know what it is already? Oh, turn, turn, turn. These kids don't know what turn, turn, turn is. Anybody know what turn, turn, turn is? Oh, you're not a kid. You have too much facial hair to be a kid. I think it was 1965 this song was number one. By the birds. There was a group called the birds. And um, they recorded a song that Pete Seeger wrote, and Pete Seeger's name is less well-known, but he was pretty well-known in that day and time, the 60s and 70s, as a folk singer. And he wrote uh, this song, and this song comes straight from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There are a few extra words put in. For instance, the title, Turn, 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 is not biblical. 
Pete Seeger was a very much an anti-war guy. He puts in one uh, verse at the end of his song uh, about anti-war stuff, but 90-plus percent of these words are straight from Scripture. And let's, uh, let's watch them now, please, and listen to them now. That's Ecclesiastes 3.1. They just sang it. Second verse, Ecclesiastes. That last verse was added. Okay, that's good right there. I remember watching that for the first, I don't know if it was the first time I heard the song, but I remember uh, sitting in my mamon Papal 
Addie's house. Their name was Atherton. They were my Atherton grandparents, but we couldn't pronounce the name Atherton, and they became Mamma and Papa Addie for till they died. And so I always remember watching the Ed Sullivan show. We don't have anything like the Ed Sullivan show today, do we? America's Got Talent is about the closest thing to that, I think. Yeah. And we got, um, so we were sitting there watching that. And my grandma, my mamma Addie, uh, when she saw it come on, she made us turn it off because of that long hair on all those boys. <laughs> she meant well. She really did. <laughs> uh, all of those words were straight from uh, the King James Version back then would have been the, the Bible they would have probably pulled that from. Uh, but I want to read you Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and you'll uh, see that those words came, that they sang, came straight from Scripture. Verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. And that's a little worded, a little different in the New International Version than the way they sing, but it's the exact same verse. So they're saying there's, there's a time for everything, there's a season. There's a season for everything. And th then we list 14 uh, different uh, couplets of things that the writer says uh, are, there's times for. And there's, they're opposites. One is, is you, one is good and the other is bad. One is positive and there's, one is negative. So, so the writer is saying there's a season for everything in life, good things and bad things. Okay, and so he says in verse 2, a time to uh, be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up that search. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Can you go back one slide and where we just were at? Now, verse 6, the second part of verse 6 is what us husbands have been trying to tell our wives forever, that there's a time to keep and a time to throw away, okay? And whenever I talk to Sue about that, I'm quoting Scripture. Somebody's clapping over here, isn't there? Yeah, there's a time to keep, but there's a time to throw away as well, okay? Ecclesiastes 3.1, 3.1 says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. So as I was playing with this and, and trying to be able to say what is it that, that I want to say, I just kind of felt, and I'm not going to say God told me because I don't know for sure that he did. I don't want to be irreverent and throw his name around when I'm not 100% sure. I, maybe it just came from my own brain. Maybe it came from things I was reading a lot about Ecclesiastes this year, this week. But, but, Ecclesiastes says there's a season for this, there's a season for good things, there's a season for bad things. And everything, every time that you go through, there's a time for it, it's appropriate. 
And, and, and uh, that comes up later in the book of Ecclesiastes, that there's a, there's a time that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And sometimes that gets translated, which is probably a better translation, everything is appropriate in its time. So you've got all of, of, of these different times of the seasons that, that the writer to Ecclesiastes uh, talks about. And what I've taken that and kind of given us one big idea that we're going to kind of claim on to today is our message. And I said, when you have God at the center, and we've already said, that's what Solomon said is really, really important. Because he goes through all of the 12 chapters of the book trying to find meaning and comes to the very end, two verses, the, the second to last verse in all of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, now this is the whole duty of, of man. Now he says, this is what I've concluded. This is the conclusion of all things. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And that's his summation. And that, that, that it's, after ser searching for meaning and everything, he comes to 12, 13 of Ecclesiastes. One verse before the end of the book and said, this is how I conclude the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's the duty of all men. And so when God is at the center, all of life can be purposeful. All the times and the seasons of life uh, a, time, a time to be born and a time to die. Uh, all the seasons of, seasons of life, there is purpose that when, when God is at the center. It's similar to what I said last week, with all the things on the margins. With all the things that are on the margins. There's nothing wrong with the things on the margins. But you, they, make per, they make sense and have purpose and have meaning when God is at the center. And I don't, obviously I don't know this, but I just wonder, when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said what we have is 633 of Matthew when Jesus said seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well was he in his mind that's kind of a summary of the book of Ecclesiastes because it absolutely is seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things so when God is at the center all of life can be meaningful when God is at the center all of life can be purposeful there is no division between the secular and the sacred. Now I'm going to bear down on that today. There's no division between the secular and the sacred. I was talking to a roofer one time. And we got talking about several things. And in the course of that conversation, he says, Well, I keep my business away from my Christianity. I keep it separate from my Christianity. And I didn't know this guy, so I didn't look at him as squirrely as I wanted to when he said that. Because that's just not even a biblical statement. He said, I, I keep my business separate from my Christianity. That is that's not at all biblical. For the biblical Christian, for the one who lives their life according to the precepts of, of, of God's word, there's no division between the secular and the sacred. There's all these seasons of life, and, 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 and Solomon lists a whole bunch of them. A whole bunch of them. And, and, and in 3.1, he says, he says, there's a season for everything, for all time under heaven. So I, I, can't, I can't do this, and, and this is secular. And I can't go over here and do this is sacred. I can't do this over here and, 
And, and this, is, this is different from my Christian life. This is, this is my secular life. And this over here, this is, this is my Christian life. And, 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 and they're separate. And, and that just doesn't make any sense. Biblically, it, they're all the same. They're all the same. I read something this week that is the first time I've ever read it in my whole life. I've never heard this thought at all. And when I read it, I just had to stop. And I said, man, that sounds really smart. And, but I had to think about it for a while to, think, to see if it really was smart or not. And, I, and I've thought about it all weekend. And I'm not sure I can sufficiently explain this to you. But I think, there's, there's this, I think this is, is verges on a profound statement. And, and I've thought about it all weekend, and I don't expect you to grab it in, in just the short time you've got here because I've, I've, I've turned this around in my mind all weekend. But I, I, I read, and I don't remember who wrote this, I, I, so it's, it's not original with me, but I don't remember who wrote it. But this person said, Christian is a better noun than an adjective. Now, some of you right now are not processing that well, and I didn't process it well either for a while. And I had to really toss that over my brain. Since Christian is a better noun than it is an adjective. So Scott Calhoun walks in this morning in first service. Scott's an English professor at Cedarville University. So who best to go get an opinion on this? And uh, we talked it through. He says, I, he says, I think you've just given me my devotions for the first day of class next year. See, a noun, if you remember back to sixth grade or whenever it was you started learning about those, these kind of things, a noun is a person, place, or thing. You remember that? Noun is a person, place, or thing. An adjective describes something. Um, these are, this is a Christian bookstore. This is a blue car. And this guy argues, and what I'm going to try to explain to you today, and I don't expect all of you to grab it because I had to wrestle with it for a while. A Christian is a person more than it describes an activity that we do. It's about being as I've said to you a hundred times. It's about being. It's not about doing. Now, some people rebel against that and think, well, I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of verbs in the Bible that talk about doing. And you're 100% right. But that doing flows from the being if we have our Christianity right. I can do, somebody says, well, somebody sees somebody do something, they say, well, that's a Christian thing to do. However, whatever that means. But somebody could do a Christian thing and not be a Christian. Christian is a noun. And I'm a Christian in all seasons of life because it's just who I am. I'm a person. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a coat, a, a, a garment that I put on when I come to church. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to go to work and think, well, I'm going to be a Christian in the workplace today. I'm going to be a Christian employee. No. You are, at, you are a Christian who just happens to be working today in a secular environment. And, and you are the same person doing the sacred things, you may not be doing the same things, but you're the same person, you're the same noun 
in a sacred activity as you are in a secular activity. We all have secular activities that we have to do. Uh, most of you all work in secular activities. And I hope that when you go to work, you don't leave your Christianity when you clock in. You, you're the same person. Biblically, you're the same person. You're a noun. You're a person. A Christian is a person. A Christian is just not doing things that seem to be Christian to make that an adjective. Now, you will do those things, but it flows from the inside. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You must have something go on on the inside of you that changes your very nature and who you are. So your doing can flow from your being, from who you are. Think about it. And for, for a lot of you, that's the first time that phrase has ever been spoken. And but think about that. Christianity, excuse me, wrong. A Christian is a better noun than it is an adjective. And that goes well with the secular sacred things. I remember the first time I've ever heard teaching on this. I was a very young Christian, maybe a two-month-old Christian. And I can remember at chapel at Asbury College... I heard a teaching on this by Dr. Steve Harper. And at that time in my life, I was 34, and by a whole string of circumstances that were totally my fault and, and were all a, a consequence of my poor decisions in life that I made before I became a Christian, I, I happened to be living with mom and dad for six months at 34. Okay? And so when I lived with mom and dad, I mowed the grass. And so they didn't have a very big yard, so it was a push mower. And so uh, in the backyard, there was a shed, like a lot of you all have sheds in your backyard. And so the shed was pushed out about four or five feet from the back fence. I never mowed behind the shed. <laughs> Mom and dad could never see that. There was no neighbors in the back. I didn't mow behind the shed. But the first time I mowed the grass, after I heard Dr. Steve Harper talking about secular sacred, I mowed behind the shed. Now that's a silly example. That's a silly example. But what areas of your life could constitute mowing behind the shed. You don't have to do it, you know, probably, you know, nobody's really going to know. But I, I remember I mowed behind the shed because I, I remembered the message that Steve preached and it was from this verse of scripture that I have up next 1 Corinthians 10 31 and what whether you eat or drink or whatever you do and see I was a young Christian 
And I'd really bitten into this thing. And I wanted all of God. So I mowed behind the shed. That makes us all smile. But that means something to us. It should. So whether you eat or drink or, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There's no difference between the secular and there's no difference between the sacred. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes again in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work for it with your, your work, work for it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving, not that manager of that store you work for. For the Christian, for the Christian, this is why my dad worked the way he did at the Kroger company. My dad worked for the Kroger company as a meat cutter for Kroger's for 40 years before he, and pastored little churches on the weekends. And this is why my dad never took 16 minutes for his 15 minute break. Now, I'm not trying to hold up my dad as the best Christian to ever live. My dad wasn't a perfect man. He'd be the first one to tell you this. But when my dad was cutting meat at Kroger's, he had no separation from the secular and the sacred. And when he worked a 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift, he didn't punch out at 2.57 like the rest of us did. We were part of a union. And the union rule said if you, if you punched out anywhere from the halfway point in the 15-minute mark from 7 to 6 to 5 to 4 to 3 to 1, you got paid for that whole 15 minutes. That's what the union said. And all the rest of us would, that we were getting off at 4, we would come back in the break room where the time clock was and we'd get back there about 2.55 if we'd get off at 3 and we'd just stand there and wait for the clock to hit 3. My dad would do that. And this is why he wouldn't do it. He saw cutting meat at Kroger's as sacred stuff. He saw himself as a noun, not a Christian meat cutter. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment and in Luke 10, 27, he says, love the Lord your God with all, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, and I always pronounce this word wrong, so bear with me and you know how to pronounce it right. There is no compartmentalization, if I said that halfway right, with Christianity. There's no little compartments in my heart that there's the Christian compartment and here's the secular compartment. Here's, here's the compartment where I'm a dad and here's the compartment where, where I'm a pastor and here's the compartment where I'm this and where I'm that. No, I'm a Christian. It's a noun, person, place, or thing. And when I'm disciplining my boys... I'm a noun, I'm a Christian. I don't just discipline them in a Christian way. 
Hopefully I do that. But it flows, it comes from the fact that I didn't read a book by James Dobson who told me how to, to, Christian, uh, to parent in a, in a Christian way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I've been born again. There's a new nature inside of me, and I'm not perfect, and I fall short as a parent time and time again. But I'm a Christian. I'm a noun. And the things I do as a parent flow from the fact that I'm a Christian. Love the Lord of God with all your heart. This is why I got out of basketball. One of the reasons I got out of basketball coaching. I was a, I was a very immature Christian. In the 14 years I coached basketball, I was just ornery. I mean, I was just, I was just ornery. Y'all can't even imagine it. It was just ornery. And a lot of that was in the way I coached and the way I talked to kids and the way I talked to referees and all that stuff. And I couldn't. I was too young. It's not a problem with basketball coaching. It's not a basketball coaching issue. It was a mark issue. I was too young in the faith to be able to put that old nature aside when it comes to the competitiveness of that moment. And I don't, didn't know any other way to be a Christian than all out. And I knew that I, if I stayed in that arena, that it was going to be hard for me to be the Christian God wanted me to be. That's not a problem with basketball coaching. It was a problem with my immaturity as a Christian. Could I go back today and, and do it? Maybe. But still those something would rise in me that probably wasn't real Christian because that whole time and everything I learned back then was when I wasn't a Christian I'm trying to tell you this morning that the Bible says there's season for everything season for positive things there's season for negative things uh, there's a time given under heaven for every single activity that's what that's what Solomon wrote okay Ecclesiastes 3.17 is, is on down a little farther from the passage we read. It says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I've told you a hundred times, for the Christian, as you stand before God, that judgment is not a heaven or hell judgment. And a lot of people get this really mixed up. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ by faith and, uh, and, and you've, by, by his grace and, and through our faith, then you're a Christian and you're your heavenly home is there for you, but your judgment as a Christian will be how you lived your Christian life. And the Bible talks in a few places, talks about rewards. I just read it in the, in the membership things. Talks about rewards. And so we're going to stand before God. We're going to be judged, not on heaven or hell. Have you been good enough to go to heaven? That is, there's nothing scriptural about that. That's horrible theology. Have, have you done enough good things? Are your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? Then if they do, you can go. There's nothing biblical about that. You're a Christian because of your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. But the Bible says you're going to be judged on how you lived your Christian life. And so that's why Paul wrote in 14.12 of Romans... Paul wrote, uh, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
And, and, and a lot of that account will probably be, because it's not hard to be Christian in the sacred parts of life, but a lot of that will be on, probably on the secular parts of life. Were we a noun? Was I a noun? And so I was a Christian who just happened to be a plumber. Or I was a Christian who just happened to be a school teacher. I don't have to, as a school teacher, I don't have to try to do Christian things as a school teacher. It's just who I am. It flows from the inside of me. And God says we're going to give an account of all of the way that we lived as Christians. And that's why some people believe that we all won't experience the same type of heaven. I don't know. Paul says, one, only time, one time in Scripture, he says, this, I was called up into the third heaven. I have no clue what that means. It's, it's in the difficult times of life many times that the difficult seasons, as the word that Solomon used, that we have to struggle many times. And we're, we're to be Christian in those difficult seasons. That, well, not, not to do a Christian thing or put on my Christian clothes or just listen to Christian music. It's, it's I, I just, I'm, in, in good times, I'm a Christian, and in difficult times, I'm a Christian because I'm a noun. I'm a person. I don't, just doesn't, my Christianity doesn't describe an activity that I do, which would make it an adjective. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 9. Paul says, Indeed, we felt that we had the sentence of death. Paul went through all kinds of stuff in his life. I mean, he was shipwrecked, he was, he was beaten. He went through hunger, he went through thirst, he said he was naked, he said he was cold, he was put in, he was put in prison. And I can go on and on. He says, in my body, I felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The, for the Christian, the difficult times, all seasons now, all seasons, the difficult times have meaning and purpose. Does God bring those difficult times on us? I think he certainly can, but I think most of the time those difficult times come because of my own lousy choices. But when they're there, I can learn to lean on him and rely on him and not on myself. This is a mystery, and we don't understand it. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. That's why Paul wrote, for we need, we, now we see only as a reflection that's in a mirror. But then, then, in heaven, we'll see face to face. For now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. I, I just came to tell you this, this morning that um, there's a season for everything under the sun. For every activity under the sun. Under heaven is the way it's quoted in scripture. There's a season for it. Good times, bad times. Life, death. Birth, die. There's a season for all of that. And in that season Though Solomon doesn't say it right here in chapter 3. In that season, the conclusion of that for him 
comes just like the conclusion last week. Fear God and keep his commandments. First, the whole duty of man. This is the conclusion of the whole thing. To be able to keep God at the center and then all of the margins stuff, all of the seasons of life, all of the ups and downs and over and unders, good times and bad times, they can have meaning and they can have purpose if I have the center right. Because for the Christian, if you're a noun, there is no division between the secular and the sacred. You're not like the roofer who keeps his business separate from his Christianity. Nothing could be less biblical than that. Friends, when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, 23, that his prayer for us is to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, or entirely sanctified, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. This is the reason that our founders say God raised up the church of the Nazarene to preach this message. And I didn't use a lot of churchy words, and I didn't use a lot of traditional words. But for the Christian, our life is lock, stock, and barrel God's. It's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's holy God's. And when Paul prays for us to be wholly sanctified, entirely sanctified, this is what he's talking about. Don't make it some big theological mess that you can't get your arm throughout. He's just saying you are a noun in the good times and in the bad times, in every season of life. Our servers are coming to the table. And because of this centeredness and this important to get the center right, it's why we receive communion every single Sunday. Because that's the center, Jesus Christ. If we get that right. So our servers are coming to the table this morning and we're going to receive communion as we usually do and to remind us, to remind us of this centeredness. To remind us of the fact that if we have the center right, then all of life, all of life, can be purposeful. If we have the centeredness right, then all the margins can have meaning and have purpose. And there is no separation between the secular and the sacred because I'm a noun. It's who I am. Jesus, thank you. Um, Thank you for revealing this to me early in my Christian life. And this is, this te I've, I've been far less than perfect and far less than lived this out every moment of my life. But I'm, I've known that this is what we shoot for. That this is the win for us. This is, this is what you have for us. So help us to love you with all our hearts, all our souls, minds, and strength. Help us to be a noun, to be Christian in the secular times as well as the sacred times. And help us to remember that that starts with receiving Jesus Christ 
as the Lord and Savior of our life because we're sinners and we need a Savior and we can't stand before him in our own rights. We must stand before him because of our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us. Help us to remember that as we come to the table. In Christ's name, amen.